0: Going to talk about sensory processing. And our primary focus is going to be on sensory processing disorder. But we're going to talk about a couple of other things in terms of sensory seeking versus sensory sensitivity. And we'll kind of get into what those are. And those may just be pop psychology terms that I've heard, but either way, or we're going to talk about them later in the episode. Mark's shaking his head. So maybe Yeah, not. I don't
1: I don't think they're pop psychology terms. Okay. I mean valid terms that people use to talk about what's going on. The interesting thing, though, is this is not a what would it, a diagnosis anymore. They, really? They, yeah, which I don't understand the reason why. When the DSM-5 came out, they took it out. That process is run mostly by psychiatrists, and there's a lot of the politics involved in it. I don't really understand the process, but it, it doesn't mean it, this doesn't exist. It does. It's yeah. just so if you say sensory processing disorder, while in the past, you someone could be diagnosed with that, that's not a diagnosis anymore. That's my understanding. It doesn't make, doesn't make it any less valid at all.
0: Right. And so I think the first time I heard about sensory processing disorder was, I think it was from another mom who was talking about her kid was dealing with sensory processing disorders. Mm-hmm. And you know now I've heard about it from a few different moms. And so I mean, I think it's becoming a little more common.
1: My little disclaimer that I want to say at first is, so most things that we talk about, I've had experience with, but this is one of the things that I haven't had any experience with. And I think it's because I don't deal with, I think first I don't deal with children. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I was talking to Lindy last night, telling her what we're going to talk about. She then informed me that Adrian actually knows, my daughter who's a psychologist, knows quite a bit about it, but that doesn't okay. help us right now. Uh, no. <laughs> but uh, the other thing is the people who actually deal with the children Mm -hmm. are typically occupational therapists. Now, it's true there may be some child psychologists who would be involved, but I think mostly it's it's probably going to be pediatricians Mm -hmm. and occupational therapists.
0: Let's take a moment real quick and let's define, I guess, what an occupational therapist is and how it differs from what you do.
1: So occupational therapy, the way I understand it, 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 there's this huge variety because I know I treat a couple of occupational therapists, the mother of my future daughter-in-law is one. They all have different specialties, okay? That different focuses that they, folk, okay, I guess is what you'd say. So for one, deals with children and what she deals with mostly is helping them learn to swallow. Okay. And so, so they're children who have difficulties in in that regard. And that's, that was her whole focus. And she had a full practice doing that. Interesting. Uh, my daughter-in-law's mother, her focus is how occupational therapy, as far as what's the right way to move your hand, So you, you don't have like carpal tunnel hmm. syndrome. So her focus is very much on the hand and, okay. and working with people who might have issues with hands. So they're probably going to be occupational therapists out there, who are going to specialize in children with sensory processing issues. The difference is that it's, and we can get into possible treatment, because there are some, there are a couple of treatments I found. It's inconclusive of whether they help or not. Mm -hmm. So whether a psychologist is going to be mostly focused, like, you know, we do talk therapy mostly. If you're like Lindy, you're working with kids in play therapy, and and neither one of those is going to be helpful. In, okay. With this particular issue, because what you want to do is come up with a plan. It's about coping, right? I think more than anything, coping skills or learning how to get along in the world with these particular issues. And so, there may be some, uh, certainly some psychologists, child psychologists, who have that as a specialty, but it's going to be fairly narrow. And I think more likely, it's going to be the occupational therapist so a typical psychologist is not going to deal with those particular issues in fact okay. i but i don't deal with children so i haven't i used to but i've never seen it
0: okay so and it's my understanding too is that when it comes to sensory processing disorder there's and i wonder if that's why they took it out of the dsm 5 is because there's such a wide variety of ways that it can present
1: that that may very well be, because if you if you think about this, as I was looking at it there, we think of the five, the typical five senses, you know, mm-hmm. sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. But in fact, I think in this particular case, we're really talking about eight different senses. And okay. the extra three, so, so people know about sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. Mm-hmm. The extra three are what we call interoception, okay. proprioception and the vestibular sense. And I can, I should probably just explain what those are right now. And teroception is the thing that helps you understand what you feel and helps you understand what's going on inside your body. Okay. So for instance, one of the, one of the best ways to explain it is when you're teaching a child, say toilet training, mm-hmm. they have to have that sense. They have to be able to feel inside. Okay. There's something going on that I need to either hold back the urine or, or, you know, they have to feel what's going on. And that that's different for a lot of kids. And they may not be as aware okay. of what it is that's going on in their body. So that's interoception. Proprioception is what we define as knowing where your body is in space, in relationships, say to people and things. I don't know if you've ever had the experience uh, either with some of your, with your own children or other kids that you know, where, they're kind of bouncing around and it's almost like they, they they're they running into things mm-hmm. and they they really don't know where they are what they're going to hit i think adrian had a little bit of that when she was a kid i think there was a time in within the space of two weeks taking her to the doctor for a split on her head where she needed stitches oh no two or three times that they, they were checking us out for child abuse but that's oh. not a that's yeah. the common area for child abuse. That's a, you know, when you get your forehead split yeah. open.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's
1: when you hit things. So, but she grew out of it. So she had a hard time knowing where her body was in space.
0: I've heard that explained as poor spatial awareness. Yeah. Wait. And I
1: think that so the it's easier to say, I think, pros uh, or poor spatial awareness yeah. rather than proprioception. I mean, who's going to know
0: that word? <laughs> exactly. Well, and as an adult, I feel like I suffer from poor spatial awareness. I'm terrible at parking because I'm not good at judging the distance between where my car starts relative to where the other one begins and, well
1: and as i've gotten older i'm losing some of that sense i think it's a natural thing that's occurring okay but in very small ways i notice it that okay. i'm losing that awareness
0: i'm so, gonna lose my driver's license really early <laughs> well you
1: can say i have pro uh, poor proprioception and maybe <laughs> they'll give you an accommodation of some kind of,
0: <laughs> maybe i don't know uh, how so they I would
1: see, so the last one, vestibular sense, is about balance. And so, you know, balance is all about inner air. And so how you're, again, it's, it's connected with proprioception in that it's how your body is moving through the world and and balance. So the, we have those eight different senses. And so when you have a sensory processing issue, it can go one of two ways, right? Which I think you mentioned, you can ha- have an oversensitivity or so you say. oversensitivity or the word say a medical doctor might use is hypersensitivity okay which is the child would probably it would lead them to avoiding loud noises uh bright lights strong smells they're gonna so an oversensitivity would be having a reaction to something in a big way Mm -hmm. so for instance my grand one of my grandsons had this with texture. So around taste and yes. texture, that's a fairly common one with kids that I think you can outgrow, but th- there there are certain textures. He's better now, but boy, it would really I'll use the word it would freak him out because yeah. and he would react in a very strong way just because of the texture, the thing that was in his mouth. So it leads to that, you know, avoiding those things that are going to trigger you. So then the the other Option would be under sensitivity. Now, the word a doctor would use would be hypo. So you have mm-hmm. hyposensitivity or hypersensitivity. So under-sensitivity would be hyposensitivity. And that means that they aren't feeling things in the same way. And so in some ways they are seeking out stimulation.
0: Yeah.
1: And so they're seeking out. I, I think in some ways, like the running into things could be a way just to to get, you know, you're running into things, you're really feeling it intensely. And so they look for more sensory stimulation. That probably could be in terms of loud noises or I I don't know about strong smells, but it's probably, you've probably known kids who are really like, if you meet them, they're grabbing onto you, touching you a lot. I think, you know, that could be one of the things that's going on. So that explains the different senses and the two types of sensitivity.
0: Okay. So I have a really close friend who can very much relate to this episode with her own kids because she in particular has a child who has extrasensory needs. And it's interesting because as a younger child, he really, really struggled with loud noises. I think she tried to enroll him in soccer at one point and he couldn't handle it because there was so much chaos and all of the noises and all of the movement it overwhelmed him and he kind of just shut down. Yeah. But
1: yeah, like
0: Right, but at the same time she often talks about how about his sensory needs and how there are certain things that i find bizarre like being upside down is good for him. It's helpful. But you can
1: have him. both. Here's, here's okay. okay. it's it's not that you're going to have one or the other. You can actually have both in different senses.
0: Okay. So you okay.
1: May be, Hypersensitive to say sight and hyposensitive, say to touch. And so okay. th- that exists. So what you're describing in some way makes some sense.
0: Okay. Yeah. They've gone to a lot of occupational therapy throughout his life and it's been very, very beneficial. And again, and it's like what you said, they've been getting, they've got a lot of coping skills because that's all about what they're trying to do is they're just, they're learning to cope. And the way she describes him is he's got, You know, because all children have typical needs. His are just extra. And that's, and that's the best way to describe this child is just extra. Everything about him is extra, but that means the good and the bad. Right. And Mm -hmm. so they have to cope with and manage. And I don't want to say bad because he's not a bad child, but his problematic behaviors are extra. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they have to cope and manage. And so, you know, some of the things that, that he does that has been good for him that has helped is things like just pushing against the wall or spinning is good for him. Rock climbing, being upside down. These are all things that are part of his occupational therapy because they're good for his brain. Well,
1: that's a really good example. I'm glad you brought that up because that, see, that is what an occupational therapist would do. They would come up with those ideas because who's going to be the first one to notice this? It's typically, mostly the mom. Yes. That is going to be the one. So you think about, okay, how is this diagnosed? Or how do you determine that there is some sort of sensory processing issue? And so the people who can help you with that, certainly occupational therapists, neuropsychologists, neurologists. I mean, there are a number of different people who probably have experience. But first and foremost, what you want to do, say, let's just say as the parent, Mm -hmm. uh, father or mother, is you want to keep a log of what is going on so that you can start to make sense because I think we really don't have that great of memories. And so you can say, well, you know, my son did this that day and this day and that day, and it gets muddled and it Mm -hmm. gets confusing. And so if you suspect that there are some sensory processing issues, that's what I suggest would be the first thing to do is start keeping a log about what it is, Mm-hmm. And you can even categorize it. So out of those eight senses, you could categorize what, this, what the sense is. And then I think you could split it up into, is it a, an oversensitivity or, or an undersensitivity? And over time, what you're, what's going to happen is a pattern will probably mm-hmm. emerge. And that way, if you want to seek help, like for, for an occupational therapist, let's say, you'll go and you'll present this information. There'll be really good data for okay. them to have, which will then allow them to better come up with a, a plan for coping. So that's, a, that's the first step. If you have a child that you suspect has this, start keeping the log.
0: And that's good advice for, I think, any issue that you suspect your child that's could true. have. I mean, in well, for, or adult. <laughs> uh, right, right. It's true. So because yeah. I'm thinking about my daughter who had problems with her bladder mm-hmm. and with you know, with potty training took a long time with her and she had a really hard time getting it. And so one of the things that they had is document, they had to bog her voiding habits and her, her fluid intake and how much she voided. So anytime you suspect, okay, something is going on with my child and it doesn't feel right to me, document it, document what's happening, what time, what's going on, you know, anything that you think can help So you can take it to your doctor and say, this is what I think is going on. And then your doctor can say, well, either that's pretty typical for children or can say, yeah, this is atypical, here's some resources, let's get you some help.
1: Right. I I recommend keeping a log for a number of things just because the memories aren't that great. Yes. And that way, uh, the patterns, because they're they're typically going to be patterns that they become easily seen and it's really helpful. So, you know, is this your daughter with ADHD?
0: No, this is my middle daughter who okay. she actually went to physical therapy for pelvic floor exercises is what okay. ended up happening. My daughter with ADHD, I feel like we. I would like to eventually get her into some sort of occupational therapy, but I mean, you know, we'll see.
1: It's just that these sensory processing issues often co-occur with kids with ADHD Okay. and also children with autism.
0: Okay. That doesn't mean that
1: a person with ADHD or, or on someone on that uh, autistic spectrum is going to have those. It's just often co-occur. And also it doesn't mean that if you have those sensory processing issues that you then have ADHD or Mm -hmm. uh, autism, that's it's just, they can often occur together.
0: Okay. Yeah. And you know, my daughter who has ADHD, I did notice some sensory processing issues. She was very texture picky as Mm -hmm. a child. And I mean, she ate canned baby food until she was like two years old.
1: Well, see, that's a, that's probably a texture.
0: Yes. And she's, and she's still texture sensitive. We've, it's been a, a lifelong battle with her, but you know, that was one of their, my early experiences with it is she's been texture sensitive and she always has been. And it, was a struggle it's still a struggle to get her to eat fruits and vegetables and i think a lot of it has to do with the texture and i think in part two is with her being our first child we've coddled her a little bit too much with it and so you know here we are but so since
1: you you, you brought that up i'm going to mention something As, as i was talking with lindy about this last night i brought this up this is the other reason to keep a log Mm-hmm. because then it becomes evident what's going on okay and then the second thing i wanted to say is just be, so your daughter has a, or my you know my grandson had an issue with texture of foods that doesn't mean you need to go to an occupational therapist to solve yeah. the problem because yeah. I think the the other thing a log gives you is it gives you a sense of how serious is this right uh, and so you know if it's okay my daughter's going to eat Uh, you know, baby food for two years. Okay. So what, you know, it's it's not that big of a deal. And sometimes I think they would, you know, a child may have a sensory processing issue. It's just not going to be that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. Now, what you said about coddling, I think that can happen uh, as well. Yeah. Is that You know, sometimes a child might say, oh, I don't like this or I don't like that. And the parent wanting to please the child then reinforces that. And maybe, you know, I'll make something special for you or something like that. And so it can be tricky. And I I want our listeners to understand, I know these sensory processing issues exist, but I also know that sometimes it's a parenting issue.
0: Yes. And I, I, I think that... Again, like you said, that's why it's important to log and to document it because a pediatrician is going to be able to help you tease that out. And a pediatrician is going to be able to say, okay, well, why don't you try these things at home first? And if that still isn't working, then it's like, okay, maybe now we go see a specialist. And that's exactly how it went with my daughter who had bladder issues. So potty training was very, very difficult for her. And so it started off with, you know, for a while it was, well, we just need to keep working at it and let's try some things at home. And then eventually it progressed to, okay, this is abnormal. Something is not right. Now we can go see a specialist, right? And so it can be so hard as parents to know the difference because every kid is different and every situation is unique. So you don't necessarily need to see a specialist. Sometimes you can resolve it on your own.
1: Yes. Yeah. It depends on how serious or how profound the the issue is. And yeah. That's the reason. Uh, and
0: yes. And how much it affects the quality of life. Yeah, so it,
1: that's, that's a good point. Yes. Which and, is true for most mental health issues.
0: Yes. Yes. Right.
1: It's uh, and I think we've said this before in different episodes. You really have to understand, does this affect my life in a serious way? Right. And if it doesn't, then there's really not that many reasons to make a big deal
0: out of it yeah yeah i yeah i i agree and you know with my daughter we found a way to cope with it and you know maybe we've taken it to an extreme but i mean i never felt a need to send her to occupational therapy for her being texture sensitive
1: doesn't always require the help of a professional because i think parents know their children really well. And I think wow. the other thing that if you feel overwhelmed by it or you don't yes. know where to go, then that's the reason to seek out the help of a professional. And I would think your first, the first person you talk to is probably the pediatrician.
0: It, and that's exactly what it was for my good friend who I talked about earlier on in the episode with her son is it was disruptive of the whole family's life. Yeah. right? And and it was a problem for them. They genuinely yeah. needed the help. And so, and again, like you said, it started with the pediatrician and then the pediatrician was able to help them differentiate or get them the extra help that they needed. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on a little bit and talk about something that I find to be very interesting. And that's the fact that at some point, even adults can be sensory seeking and sometimes they can be sensory sensitive. So mm-hmm. we've all experienced this thing and I'm seeing this more and more often where people can say, I can't explain what's really going on or how do I explain to someone that I can hear the dishwasher and I can feel my toes and everyone's talking at once. And you just, you just feel genuinely overwhelmed and it's called sensory overload, which I think yeah. is very, very easy to happen in today's busy, busy world. And so I think it's very common. I mean, and if you think about it, If the TV is going in the background, your kids are screaming, you're trying to have a conversation with someone, and then someone in another room is running a vacuum cleaner, that's too much for your brain to process all at one time. You're going to get overwhelmed.
1: Right. So we aren't really talking about, say, having those sensory processing issues from childhood in this case. Exactly. Yeah. We're talking about just living in the world. Yes. So I think that, yes, there. Oh, I really believe there's too much stimulation in Mm -hmm. our world. I mean, you have mm-hmm. phones, you have pads, you have computers, you have TV, you have radio. It's just too much sometimes. That's the reason I think my family is surprised. I drive to work and they say, well, what do you listen to on the radio? I drive to work in silence. Yep. Total silence. I need that. I'm going to be talking mm-hmm. to people all day. I'm going to be listening all day. I don't need any other input. And so, I don't know, maybe that's the way I cope with the yeah. sense of overload. Yeah. But I, I also think that if you are... Well, it can this can be two things You you can be anxious
0: mm-hmm.
1: and be more sensitive to, you know, what's going on around you. But I also think all all of that noise and chaos and stuff that's going on around you can lead you to be anxious. Yes. Um, and so, you know, as far as adults, I think we need to do a better job at changing our environment. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm surprised at how many people come into the office and often. In this case, what they're talking about, typically, I'll hear them say, "Oh, the news makes me anxious." See, that's just a sensory input, right?
0: Yep.
1: And they say, "Well, why, why not turn it off?" I don't, mm-hmm. you know, if if you're getting anxious because of something you can t- control, we'll turn the thing off. We, I think, we all need quiet sometimes. Yes. yes. And you know, I've never lived in a big city like, uh, say, New York or L- L.A. or San mm-hmm. Francisco. But, uh, you know, I visited San Francisco enough when Adrian lived there. I can't take all that sensory overload. There's yes. so much going on all the time. And so it's interesting that, you know, I've never really described where I live. I live in a canyon outside of Salt Lake City, it is always quiet. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have that. And so maybe I just didn't know that I had these sensory issues because yeah. I learned to live in such a way that it, doesn't affect me.
0: And so I think parents in particular need to really check themselves because I think being overstimulated, it can also make us very irritable. And I think as parents, we really need to recognize that because I mean, if all three of your kids are coming to you at the same time for, and they all have five different questions That's going to be sensory overload, but it might be hard to pinpoint it. Or maybe you're trying to cook dinner. Somebody needs help with their homework. Another person needs a snack. The phone is ringing. And then your husband also needs something. That's a lot to deal with at once. And I think parents need to be better at recognizing and saying, I am overwhelmed. I need five minutes. I need everybody to stop so I can regroup.
1: So I'm going to give one piece of advice, and I know this is my own bias. Mm-hmm. Turn off the TV.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: Turn off the TV. I'm surprised, at, just because we don't have the TV on, but I'm surprised at how many people come in and and I ask them about what they're doing. And, you know, they might be talking on the couch, with, but the TV's on over there. Yep. Or they're having dinner and the TV's on over there. And they say, oh, well, I like the background noise. It's still, it's that sensory yep. input. And mm-hmm. you know, you bring this up about being overloaded, I think it happens to a lot of adults. Yes. And so the the easiest thing, well, the easiest thing, turn off your phone for a time, put it away, mm-hmm. and turn mm-hmm. off the TV.
0: And all and that's not to say that it you still can't get sensory overloaded even if you do have the right. TV off, right? right?
1: I'm just saying it's one yes. of those things you can control.
0: Yes. That yes. would
1: likely decrease. And I'm I'm surprised how often that is a factor in the homes of a lot of the people that I see.
0: Yeah, so, and that's a great coping mechanism is start with what you can control. You can control your phone. You can control the TV. You can't control your kids. You can't control your husband.
1: Oh, so you could teach him to line up and take a turn.
0: (laughs) Yes, you can. There we go. (laughs) Okay, so now let's flip it and talk about the opposite, which I think is less common. But, you know, maybe the people who love the city life, they love the hustle and bustle of the city life. I'm not necessarily one of those people, but I do find myself the sensory seeking. And so I'm just going to confess right now, I am 30 years old and I love bubble wrap. I love popping <laughs> bubble wrap.
1: Well, Liz, who doesn't love bubble wrap? I love bubble wrap.
0: OK, we so did. it is not just me. <laughs>
1: No, there's, I, who knows what it is? There's something incredibly satisfying yes. about popping all these bubbles.
0: But if there's bubble wrap, I can't help myself though. Like, if somebody puts bubble wrap in my hand, I'm going to pop it.
1: Well, right? now we're talking about a compulsion, but.
0: <laughs> okay. I mean, I could be struggling with that too. But I mean, my kids are really into like fidgets, is what they call them. Like, and they're, and they're really just sensory toys. So, like, you think of like fid- fidget spinners or like, Needles or things that you can do with your hands. like well, toys. I,
1: As I was looking at one of the things that say an occupational therapist might suggest is uh, at least in school, if yeah. you, an accommodation might be to have a fidget.
0: Yes. I love yeah. them. I buy yeah. them for my kids and then I use them because I like them. And mm. I mean, I love textures. I love playing with kinetic sand. I love playing with Play-Doh and needles, and all of these different things to keep my hands busy. I love doing that. And I'm an adult. So even adults can be sensory seeking. You know, maybe that's why I love cuddling so much. If I had my own love language, it would probably be cuddling. I love hugs and I love cuddling. I can cuddle all day with any member of my family.
1: Oh, but that's part of the love. Let's touch.
0: Yes. Okay. Interesting. Interesting you bring that up because that's coming up, folks. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, if you're like me and you're 30 years old and popping the bubble wrap helps you cope with life and be a happier individual, pop Jeez. the bubble wrap.
1: Okay, so Liz, do you know that you can go to Office Max and you can buy a big roll of bubble wrap?
0: Yeah, but I also Maybe get it. Maybe I shouldn't it.
1: have told you that. <laughs> <laughs> you, but I, you, can have, you can have a year's supply <laughs> of bubble wrap right there in your home.
0: <laughs> but I also get it for free at work because half <laughs> okay. of the stuff we get, get is bubble wrap. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, or I don't know. I mean, I guess my big thing is if you like sensory, they're not just for kids. If you like sensory toys, go buy them for yourself.
1: Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that.
0: (laughs) No, it's fine. I mean, they,